So we'll begin with a blessing over the Torah. Baruch Adonai Hamvarak. Blessed is Adonai, the Blessed One. Baruch Adonai Hamvarak Leolam Vayed. Blessed is Adonai, the Blessed One, for all eternity. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bakarbanu Mechol HaAmim Venetin Lanu Et Torato. Baruch Adonai Noten HaTorah. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. And as it says in Psalm 119, verse 18, the Psalm of David, let this be our prayer this morning. Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things from your Torah, from your law, from your instruction. This week, our Torah portion is called Archemot. And Archemot means after the death. And it's called Archemot because that's the first word in the verse that starts this Torah portion, which is talking after the death of Nadab and Abihu, which were Aaron's sons, who approached the Lord in an unauthorized way, bringing unauthorized incense and unauthorized fire. So it's basically instructing Aaron, you just can't come into me and come into my habitation, my dwelling, my throne room, into the Holy of Holies, any old time you want, any which way you want. But here's how you do it. And he lays out what is the Yom Kippur service, the Day of Atonement service. And it's this elaborate ritual, you know, of a sacrifice of a bull and the sacrifice of a goat. And the other goat is sent away into the wilderness, carrying the sins of Israel off into the wilderness. And the other one is, is slain, you know, as an atonement for the children of Israel. But Archemot in most years is read with the other Torah portion called Kedoshim. Kedoshim is the word holiness. So Archemot and Kedoshim are usually read together, but this year, since it's a leap year on the Hebraic calendar, it's read separately. But Archemot begins with the rabbis and sages' call in the Torah, the holiness code. The holiness code. And you know, we have codes. Like, even serial killers have code, at least Dexter does, right? You know, he had a code. He only killed bad guys, right? So, you know, you, you pick out any organization or, or any club or anything that you want. They have a code that you have to adhere to, abide by, live up to, or that you guide yourself by or, you know, that you kind of guide your life with. And so no different within the Word of God. Within the Word of God, it's called the holiness code. Many people may think, well, that, that just seems so far out there. That just seems so unobtainable and unreachable. God would never command us to do something that we can't do. Are we going to fail at trying? Of course we are. Why? Because we are fallen creations. We are fallen creatures. We are prone now to sin. We can't help but sin. So, but that doesn't mean we still can't be holy. And we need to get this ideal out of our head of this, you know, just this white, quiet, solemn, somber, you know, picture of holiness, you know, that's unobtainable and, and people in white garbs and, you know, all this rituals and religious stuff. Holiness is for all of us. And holiness is just a religious word that means to be set apart. That's all that means. We're set apart for a specific purpose. And, you know, just as the Levites were set apart from the children of Israel to be the priests, so Israel was set apart from the nations to be a light to the nations, right? So God is all about separation. That's why it's Kadosh, 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 Yahweh, Zevaot. Kadosh, 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 Yahweh, Zevaot. So, you know, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And that's what the angels keep saying 24 7 around the throne of God, 365. It's just this constantly holy, holy. He's three times holy, He's three times set apart from us. You know, holy, holy, holy. So that's the theme for today is holiness and the holiness code. So we're going to start our reading in Leviticus, Vayikra, uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. So it says, Adonai said to Moses, Speak to B'nai Israel, speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, I am Adonai your God. You are not to act as they do in the land of Egypt where you used to live, nor are you to act like they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, nor are you to walk in their customs. Now, the rabbis and sages of blessed memory, peace be upon them, said that Egypt and Canaan was the worst of the worst. They were the baddest of the bad out of all the nations as far as their lifestyle and examples. They basically had virtually no moral code, and whatever moral code they had was very perverted and very twisted. 
And so he's warning the children of Israel, don't act like Egypt that I just took you out of. And don't act like the Canaanites that I'm bringing you into. And what does he tell them when they go into the land of Canaan? Wipe out every vestige that these people ever lived here. We don't want their pottery. We don't want their idols. We don't want anything to remind us of them and their ways. Because we don't want you or your children down the road saying, hmm, I wonder how the Canaanites used to worship their gods. That's how I'm going to worship God. You know, just get that out of your head. So this is the definition of holiness, is being set apart and not acting like everybody else, not doing like everybody else does. I am Adonai, your God. You are not to act as they do in the land of Egypt. It, it reminds me of what I said to my daughter one time when she was little, and she accidentally hurt a little girl. And I said, well, what do you do? Well, I just, I say that I'm sorry. And you mean that, right? Yes, I mean, I'm very sorry. I said, but Ariana, I said, we are Jews. There's more expected of us from God than from ordinary people. Saying sorry just isn't good enough. It doesn't cut it. What else can we do to really show this little girl that you're sorry? Well, I can write her a card. That's a great idea. Wonderful. You know, you do that. You know, and she accidentally hurt her. I was like, well, what else can you do? Can you think of it? Well, maybe I can put a little Band-Aid in the card. Oh, that, oh, I love that. That's a really nice idea, you know. Maybe I can put a stick of bubble gum. Bubble gum always makes me feel better, you know. And so she's really going the extra mile to really show that I'm different. I just don't say I'm sorry. I try to back up my words by my deeds, by my actions. And the rabbis say that, that the garments of the soul is our thought, speech, and deed. And that's what we need in order to be holy, is we need that our, our thought, speech, and deeds to be like that of Christ, to be like that of Messiah Yeshua. He is the template for holiness. He's the one who lived holy before us and gave us the example of holiness on how to live by. Here, God tells us in Leviticus, and in the Brit Chadasha, the Renewed Covenant, God shows us through His Son how to do it, how to be holy. And it's not hard. It's difficult because our flesh fights against it. It's difficult because our fallen nature bucks against it. But again, God would not tell us or command us to do something that we were not physically, mentally, or spiritually able to do. It just doesn't mean that we're always going to do it or always going to do it successfully. And that's where grace comes in. That's where grace comes in, and that's why grace is so important. So he says, do not act like, um, like they do in the land of Egypt where you used to live, nor are you to act like they do in Canaan where I am bringing you, nor are you to walk in their customs. You are to obey my ordinances and to keep my statutes. Now, this ordinance and statutes is these things that, that make sense. You know, ordinances. These are judgments. You know, these are things that make sense. You know, don't kill other people. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Oh, that all makes sense. But he also says, my statutes. These are things that may not totally make sense to us. Like, why do you want us to eat kosher, God? Why do you just want us to eat this way and not that way? Why do you only want us to wear these kind of garments and not have wool and linen mixed together? It doesn't make sense. And what does God say at the end of it? He says at verse 5, I am Adonai your God. That's basically like God saying, because I said so. Because, you know, when, when our kids are little and we tell them to do something, naturally they're going to, but why? So we try to explain it to them. And what do they say in return? But why? And then we try to explain it a little further. And then they say, but why? And then we just, because I said so. Because we realize our children are not as intellectually, uh, you know, on the same level we are. You know, they have not matured. They don't understand the thing. They don't see the things we do. And so just to alleviate any discomfort and just to, you know, just to get things over with, we just say, because I said so. And it's the same with us spiritually. We're dealing with an infinite God. You know, he's eternal. How can we as finite creatures and creations and human beings comprehend an infinite God? Sometimes we can't. Sometimes he tells us to do something that doesn't make sense and we don't understand. That's okay. Understanding is not a requirement of obedience. Obedience is a requirement of obedience. I don't have to understand to obey. I just obey. And it reminds me of uh, uh, Babylon 5, one of my favorite sci-fi shows. You had uh, the, the uh, ambassador to, to um, the Membari, uh, Delin, and uh, she had a title called Satai. And so her attache finally comes to Babylon 5 and, you know, presents himself. You know, I'm here to be your Ashate Satai, Delin. She says, don't ever call me that ever again. Don't call me that in front of, you know, anybody or anybody around here. Don't call me Satai. She says, do you understand? 
He's like, no, but understanding is not required for me to obey what you said. <laughs> so that's kind of what that reminds me of. So continuing on with verse 4, you are to obey my ordinances and to keep my statutes and walk in them. I am Adonai your God, so you are to keep my statutes and my ordinances. The one who does them will live by them. Will live by them. So verse 5, it says they will live by them. It means you will live in them or you will live or have life because of them. And all you got to do is read Deuteronomy chapter 28, and God spells it out that there is a blessing and there is life in keeping God's commandments. And there's death and there's a curse in disobeying God's commandments. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, I'm going to read it in the King James because I like the way the King James words this. You don't get it this way in any other translation. Kepha, that's Peter's Hebrew name, he says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. See, that, that's another way of saying you're holy, you are different, you are separated, you are set apart. The royal family is definitely set apart from the commoners, right? You have the commoners lining the streets whenever, you know, Queen Elizabeth or, you know, or, or the, you know, Prince Harry or Prince William goes by and they're just, you know, doing the little wave and all this kind of stuff. So he says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy, meaning set apart nation. I love this phrase, a peculiar people. A peculiar people that ye shall uh, show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness, in other words, out of the nations, and into the marvelous light, into the promised land, if you will. So you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a set apart nation, a holy nation, a peculiar people. I want to be peculiar. I don't want to blend in. I don't want to stand out. I don't really want to draw attention to myself either, but I want to be different. So where people say, hey, there's something different about you. Why are you so happy all the time? You know, why, why do you react this way and not that way? Or how come you don't go here or do these things? A peculiar people. That you, why? What's the reason of being a royal priesthood set apart peculiar? To show forth the praises when we live holy. When we live set apart, we are giving glory and praise and honor to God. It's another way of praising him by our lifestyle. So that we should show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness. And that's why we praise him, because he called us out of darkness. He called us out of the darkness of Egypt. He called us out of the darkness of Canaan into the marvelous light of his promised land. Now, um... Our, as I said, Archimote begins the section of the Torah that the rabbis call the Holiness Code or the Set Apart Code. Um, the code, uh, if you will, is observed to set us apart, to make us different from all the other nations on the earth. Because in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 3, it says, you are not to act as they do in the land of Egypt where you used to live, nor are you to act as they do in the land of Canaan where I'm bringing you, nor are you to walk in their customs. And jumping to verse 27, says, for all these abominations, in other words, all the despicable, disgusting, ungodly, unholy things that the Egyptians and Canaanites done, for all these abominations were done by men of the land who were before you, and the land became defiled. It became defiled. If you defile it, the land will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. It's kind of funny. We were talking about, you know, Bert's testimony and how, you know, he, the Lord showed him a picture of his heart, that it was like this, this lava that was starting to harden, get all crusty, but you could still see a little bit of the cooling embers. And I thought of that verse in Revelation that the Lord said, hey, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Don't be in between. And because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. So if you defile it, the land will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations before you. Now, the rabbis bring an interesting story. He says, what is this like? What is this likened unto? It's likened unto a prince whose stomach is very accustomed to good eating. And you give the prince a rat like the street urchins eat. They love it. It's delicious. But the prince gets sick and starts vomiting it out because the prince has been defiled. 
And he said, this is the way it happens in the land. When you commit sins and go against the holiness code, the laws and instructions that God has set up to keep the land holy, to keep the land pure, you defile it and you get vomited out. And the holiness code brings up three major things that defile a land. And we're going to get into that. So I want to finish reading this passage before we get into that. So it says, for all these abominations were done by the men of the land who were before you, and the land became defiled. If you defile it, the land will vomit you out as it, did, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. I think it's interesting that the Lord says, look, I'm going to give you this promised land, but it's not a guarantee. It's not a sure thing. It's contingent upon you keeping the holiness code to keeping this land from becoming defiled. And if it becomes defiled, we got the Yom Kippur service to take care of that. But it's a, you know, basically it's like, yeah, I'm giving you this promised land. This is your inheritance. But guess what? You could lose it just as well as you can keep it. And it just depends on your conduct. Verse 29, for whoever does any of these detestable things, and we'll get into what these detestable things are, the soul that do them are to be cut off from the midst of their people. Therefore, you are to keep my charge so that you do not practice. Practice means practice makes perfect. You practice it in order to achieve something, right? It, it practice becomes custom, becomes habit. You do not practice any of these detestable customs that were practiced before you so that you do not defy yourselves by them. But why, Lord? Why? How come, Lord? Why? He says, I am Adonai, your God, because I'm daddy, because I said so. Simply put. So what is the crooks of this holiness code? Well, basically, three things that we read in the Holiness Code from Leviticus chapter 16 to 18. First of all, uh, what defiles a person as well as defiles a land is idolatry. Idolatry is the equivalent of spiritual adultery. We are the bride of Messiah. We are the bride of Christ. And if we're worshiping any other thing or anybody else, we're stepping out on God and committing adultery and fornication on him. And he gives an example in this Torah portion about Molech. He says, wait, I'm, I'm, all I'm asking you to do is to sacrifice your animals. Sacrifice your animals. Don't go out and sacrifice in the fields because you're really sacrificing to demons and you don't really even realize it or knowing it. The only legitimate place to sacrifice animals is here at the tabernacle. Bring them here so that you may sacrifice your animals here. All I'm asking you is to bring the, the first and the best of your livestock. But yet, if you're going to worship Molech, what do you do? You cause your children to pass through the fire. I don't even ask you to give me your children as a sacrifice. But yet, your child's good enough to give to Molech? You're, you're going to worship Molech, but you're... So, idolatry. You're committing idolatry with Molech. Sacrificing children unto Molech. And it was a very, very vicious way... Of a sacrifice it wasn't just this clean swift sacrifice that we sacrifice the animals in the old testament where it's just slitting jugular to jugular and the blood rushes out and it, the animal passes out and it dies peacefully no we're talking a violent death with molech the more violent the better the baby was burned and cooked alive screaming and wailing the whole time oh i'm dedicating my child to molech well i'm worshiping Mo so no idolatry that's that's the first part of this holiness code so no idolatry and no sexual immorality, because if you read Leviticus 17, it gives in very, very plain, unmistakable detail, sexual conduct that is holy and sexual conduct that is not. It basically gives you a rundown. You're not to have sex with your mom, your aunt, your uncles, your, your dad, your, your sisters, your brothers, your close relatives. I mean, it just goes down. You're, you know, men and men aren't to be together and I mean, all this stuff. So it just gives a detail because this is part of the holiness code. The last thing was the, 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 the foods. Not only was it to be kosher food, but you're not to eat food with the blood still in it because he says, I've given this blood is set apart. This blood is holy because this blood is what makes atonement for your sins. It is holy. It is sacred. Even from the beginning, when, when Cain murdered Abel, it says, his blood cried out for justice, cried out. Our blood has life in it. It is our life. If somebody was to drain us of our blood, we would die. We can't live without blood. And so blood is, blood is so sacred, we're not even supposed to eat it. And yet we see how Satan has perverted this. 
Because most every pagan religion out there has blood sacrifice, but also bloodletting rituals where somebody cuts themselves. The prophets of Baal did that. Oh, Baal, hear us! And they're slashing themselves, blood's gushing everywhere. Nothing happens, and Elijah says, it's my turn. And he builds an altar, and the fire of God comes down, right? But you also have the modern-day incarnations of this perversion of, of, of disrespecting the sacredness of blood by the vampirism. You know, the Twilight movies and, and all these other vampire movies that make vampirism look cool. And there's actually people that are living as vampires. They're little, literally drinking blood. And I mean, he commands us, if you, if you let blood, even the blood of an animal, if you don't treat that, the blood of that animal with the proper respect, you're guilty. Because this blood is sacred, because this blood I'm using for atonement for your soul. So if you do, like, go out hunting and you bag a deer, cover up the blood with earth. That's just only the right thing to do. Don't let it set. Be respectful of the blood because it is, this animal gave its life so you could live. Gave its life so you can eat through the winter. Right? So those are the three major things. No idolatry. No sexual immorality. Uh, no eating uh, uh, meat with the blood still in it. Now, these things were worth dying for. The rabbis and sages say you should be willing to give your life not to commit idolatry, not to commit sexual immorality, and not to eat anything God said not to eat. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, that's pretty heavy. You're going to give your life over that? Well, yeah, because in Daniel chapter 3, we get an example of the whole issue of idolatry. So in Daniel chapter 3, Beginning with verse 13, I'm not going to read the whole thing, so I'm just picking a snippet. So we know that uh, Nebuchadnezzar set up this big idol, the statue of gold, and all of his captive kingdom, all the people that, uh, that, 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 that he conquered, they were gathered together, and they were going to worship this, uh, this idol. Now, to be fair, Nebuchadnezzar didn't really care if these other people worshipped Ishtar or Baal or Dagon or Yahweh even. Name any god he didn't care, as long as you show the proper respect for my gods too. That's all I care about. But it was a no, it was a, it was a, a, a deal breaker, a no negotiation thing for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're like, look, we can't do that. It, it, it we can't do that. So they said, if you don't, you're gonna die. Well, so what? We still can't do it, and we're not gonna go. We're not gonna do it. So in Daniel, chapter uh, three, verse thirteen. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be summoned. When these men were brought before the king, Nebuchadnezzar responded to them saying, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I set up? Then he changes his tone. Now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image I had made. He's being a little kinder now. I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm a nice guy. You know, I'm not this despot conqueror everybody says that I am. I'm a nice guy. So he says, but if you do not worship, he changes his tone again, but if you do not worship, you will be immediately thrown into the midst of a furnace blazing with fire, thinking that would set him straight. Oh, gee, I don't want to be put in fire first, so I, I just better do what the king says. After all, God knows my heart. I may be bowing on the outside, but I'm not bowing on the inside. No, they didn't use that lame excuse. They were willing to die for this. I love the way they responded. Well, this, let me finish what the king says. He says, what God is able to deliver you out of my hands. After all, I'm Nebuchadnezzar. After all, I've conquered your people. So your God can't be all that great if he let me conquer you. I conquered all these other people that, are, that have no problem bowing down and worshiping my idol and my gods. So what's your deal? Why are you making a big deal about it? You're making me look bad. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king and said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to answer you concerning this matter. If it is so, our God, whom we serve, is able to save us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Yet, 
even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image you set up. Whew. Now, where I come from, that's called ballsy. <laughs> that's backbone. They said this to a king. They knew they were as good as dead. They didn't plan on living out the rest of that day. They figured, hey, we're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace, but guess what? We're going to be with our Lord in the next moment. It's no big deal. Because they knew, according to Leviticus chapter 18, the beginning of the holiness code, that idolatry was something that was worth dying over. The issue of idolatry. So we get that example from the scripture. Now, immorality, sexual immorality. We go back to Bereshi, Genesis chapter 39. Old Joseph. Man, Joseph was a handsome, nice-looking, young, strapping lad. In Genesis chapter 39, uh, at the end, let's see here. We're going to start at verse 7. But right before verse 7, it makes a note. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and handsome in appearance. Joseph was hot. <laughs> Verse 7 says, now after these things, the master's wife, she's, she's one of these lonely housewives. Her husband's always away on business, always doing something for Pharaoh, right? The master's wife lifted up her eyes at Joseph and said, why don't you come and see me sometime, big boy, right? <laughs> come lie with me. Come lie with me. But he refused. Look. He said to his master's wife, my master doesn't think about anything in the house with me in charge and everything that belongs to him, he's entrusted into my hand. No one in this house is greater than I and he has, has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how could I commit this great evil and sin against God? So whenever she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her invitation to lie beside her or to be with her. Now one such day, he came into the house to do his work, and none of the people of the house were there. Then she grabbed him by his garments and says, come lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When he saw that he had left his garment in her hand and uh, in her hand and fled outside, she screamed to the men of the house and said, look, look. Someone has brought this Hebrew man in to fool with us. He approached me to lie with me, so I screamed out loud. And when he heard me raise my voice and screamed, he left his garment and fled and went outside. Then she kept the garment with her uh, until the master came home. I'm, I bet she was laying on her, her bed, sniffing that garment, having fantasies that she still wish she had Joseph, right? But because she was jaded, because she was refused, she was going to get him back. She spoke the same words to him and said, this Hebrew slave you brought us approached me to fool with me. And when I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment and fled outside. Now, when his master heard the words, his wife spoke to him saying, such are the things your slave did to me. His anger burned. Potiphar had every right to kill Joseph, to have him put to death. Joseph probably figured he was going to die. He wasn't going to live out the rest of that day. So Joseph himself knew that not committing sexual immorality was something worth dying for. I mean, he could have just kept a secret just between him and the wife, you know, and Potiphar's wife, and, you know, nobody would have ever known. He says, no, how can I sin against my God, and how can I sin against my master? So it says in verse 20, then Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. Whew, well, that was a relief. At least he didn't kill him. But I think Joseph was ready and willing to die. Because he knew what holiness was. He knew what God expected of him. So there's an example of the holiness code in effect, even in the life of the patriarchs before the, the Torah was even given. You know, orally, God had already given what he expected, how he expected his people to live. Now, the Apostle Paul, dealing with Gentiles coming into the Hebraic faith, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, or Rav Shul, as we call him in Hebrew, he says in chapter 5, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians, he says, It's actually reported among you that there is sexual immorality and such immorality as it is not even among the pagans. Okay, so, so Egypt and Canaan were the worst of the worst, the baddest of the bad. 
in regards to you know, no holds barred as far as what sexual morality is. And here, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, look, there's some sexual stuff going on in your church that not even the pagans would do. Now, how bad could have that been? It is actually reported among you that there is sexual immorality and such immorality as is not even among the pagans, that someone has his father's wife. And you were puffed up. Shouldn't you have mourned instead so that the one who did the deed might be removed from among you? This is worthy of excommunication from the fellowship of believers. For even though I am absent in body, I am present in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who has done these things as though I were present. When you are gathered together in, in the name of our Lord Yeshua, I am with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Yeshua. You are to turn such a fellow over to Hasatan, to Satan. Just a little interesting note, the word Hasatan in Hebrew means Satan, the adversary. Uh, according to the Hebraic numerology, the word Satan is six hundred or uh, 364. 364. There's 365 days in a solar year. So it means one of those days, Satan can't come and accuse us. And they say that is Yom Kippur, which is what, we, what the whole Torah portion is about in Leviticus 16 through 18. Little interesting, thought I'd just kind of throw that out. So it says, uh, hand the fellow over to Satan for the destruction of his fleshly nature, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Yeshua. Your boasting is no good. Don't you know that a little hamets, a little leaven, leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old hamets, so that you may be a new batch, just as you are unleavened for Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old hamets, the hamets of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread, the matzah of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in the letter not to mix together with sexually immoral people, not, not at all meaning that sexually immoral people of this world or the greedy swindlers or idolaters, for there you would have to exit the world. He's like, look, I'm not saying that you can't hang out with people that are sexually immoral because the whole world's full of sexually immoral people. I'm talking about people in your church, people in your synagogue, people in your congregation. If they're sexually immoral, don't hang around them. Don't have anything to do with them. But now I am writing to you not to mix together with anyone who is being called a brother if he is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater. See, there's part of the holiness code that Paul's mentioning here. He mentions sexual immorality. He mentions idolatry. Or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. Not even eat with such a fellow. I don't know if this is true, but I heard recently of a church that's in need of a pastor. And they were trying out these other ministers, and they were like digging really to the bottom of the barrel, you know, because the pickings are slim. And this guy who had some sort of ministry in the past or some sort of Bible education, they're like, hey, you come and speak for us. When this whole time he's been living in an adulterous relationship, living with a woman that's not his wife. And that's okay? No, it's not okay. So this is what Paul's talking about. You shouldn't even eat with them or fellowship. But don't even call them a brother because they're, they're living and knowing sin. I mean, the Bible is not ambiguous about sexual immorality. It's pretty straightforward, pretty black and white, pretty plain. And if somebody says, oh, I love Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, let's go worship together. And they're living in known sin. Sorry. Well, why? Well, you know, bro. You're living in an adulterous relation. Oh, God knows my heart. He knows our situation. No, don't live together. It's called adultery. It's called fornication. You have not made a commitment before a minister, before God, to say, this is my spouse. This is my wife. You have not cut ties. You're not even divorced from your last wife or whatever. We are so lenient and so lax. I'm not saying that you have to get nasty with a person or treat them like a dog. They need to be treated with love, but they also need to know that, look, you don't tolerate this foolishness. Yeah, God's a God of grace, but he doesn't give a license to sin or license to tolerate the sin. But that's not a popular message these days. People will say, well, well you're just intolerant. You, you, what if you hurt their feelings and then never come back? That's not my issue. My issue is to stand for truth in the word of God. If they get upset because I point out the obvious to them, that's between them and the Lord. That's not between me and them. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not the one living in adultery. I'm just pointing out, look, this is what the word of God says, and I'm 
obliged to uphold the word of God. Look, I love you and you're still my friend, but I can't worship with you. I can't fellowship with you. You can't be acting like you're a good Christian walking around like everything's all right when you know there's blatant sin in your life that's not dealt with. That's, that's a lot different than falling into a sin. You know, you have an addiction or you have a habit or something like that, and then you slip up. Living with somebody else is a conscious choice. It's not, oops, I accidentally started living with somebody. Forgive me. I made a mistake. No, it's a conscious, willing decision. It's a willful sin. It's not like, oh, man, you know, I just I accidentally slipped up and, you know, I whatever. It's different from that. So am I, am I making myself clear on these things? Okay, okay, all right. So, um, but now I'm writing to you not to mix together with anyone who is being called a brother if he is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler. Do not even eat with such a fellow. For what business do I have judging outsiders? Look, if somebody doesn't belong to our congregation, they don't belong or religiously affiliated anywhere and they're sexually immoral, they're part of the world. That's expected of them. That's not my beef. That's not my jurisdiction to judge. So what business do I have judging outsiders? Do you judge those who are inside, but those, but those who are outside God judges? Put away the wicked fellow from among yourselves. Because a bad apple spoils the whole batch, right? Spoils the whole barrel, right? Okay, so we dealt with sexual immorality. We dealt with idolatry. Now we deal with the food with the blood still in it. And we go back to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, verses, uh, starting with verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved. In other words, he made a conscious decision. Here's the line. I will not cross it. Here is the hill that I'm willing to die on. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself, and he uses the word defile just like Leviticus 18 says, do not defile the land like these nations before you defiled it by what they did. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the king's delicacies. You know, perhaps he had a, a, a hog roast, or perhaps he had unkosher wine, or, you know, something that as a Jewish person, as a, a royalty of Judah, Daniel was not permitted to eat. Maybe it was blood pudding, or maybe it was something with, with, you know, the blood still in it. Whatever it was, Daniel knew he couldn't eat it. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the king's delicacies or with the wine he was drinking. So he entreated the chief official for permission not to defile himself. Now God caused the chief official to show mercy and compassion to Daniel. But the chief official said to Daniel, look, I fear my lord the king will, uh, uh, who allotted your food and drink, why should he see your faces looking poorly and unlike the other youths your age? The implication is, is that there was blood in this meat. Because actually blood is good for you because if you're anemic, you need blood, right? You know, so you eat liver or things with blood content in it. Uh, so there is some benefits to consuming blood, but God says it's sacred. Don't do it. There's other ways to handle those situations. He says, why should he see your faces poorly? Why should you look peaked, right? Unlike the other youths your age, and the king would have my head because of you. Look, you're putting my life in danger. Daniel was putting his own life in danger by refusing to eat what the king set before him. What, is not good enough for you? What, you're not going to follow my orders? Verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Who's Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? Yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's their Hebrew names. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us just vegetables to eat and water to drink. Because, I mean, vegetables are always kosher, right? There's no, no uh, messing that up. Then compare our appearance with the appearance of youths who eat the king's delicacies and treat your servant according to what you see. So he listened to them in the matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their appearance looked better and their bodies healthier than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the guard took away the delicacies of the wine that they were supposed to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Uh, now, as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and profici for proficiency in every kind of wisdom of literature, and Daniel could understand all sorts of visions and dreams. Because they decided and determined and resolved to be obedient to God, not to defile themselves, and they were willing to die for the sake of God's dietary laws, God rewarded them for their faithfulness. 
Now, this is a part of the Apocrypha, but it is still part of Jewish history. Um, it may not be canonical scriptures, but we can derive benefit from these apocryphal books. There's a story in 2 Maccabees chapter 7 of a woman who had seven sons. And the evil king Antiochus Epiphanes was trying to win her sons over and try to make them eat unkosher meat. Like, I think it was pig. And they refused. Every single one of them. From, from the oldest to the youngest. Or maybe it was from the youngest to the oldest. I don't remember the order. But basically what happened is these young men refused. And as a result, they were brutally butchered and tortured before their mother's eyes. They would even say stuff like, go ahead and take my arm, O king. Go ahead and take my tongue, O king. I know I'm going to get a new one in the life to come. You know what? We're ha this is happening to us because we of Israel have been unfaithful. We deserve what you're doing to us. We deserve what's happening to us. But guess what? Don't think you're going to get away with it because our God is going to get you back. So this mother saw each and every one of her seven children being systematically and methodically dismembered before her eyes, and they all died. And she encouraged each one of them, don't give in, son. Keep, keep, up, keep the faith, son. And lastly, she was martyred as a result because they knew about Leviticus chapter 18, the holiness code, and the things that are worth dying for. You're saying, oh, this is all a great history lesson. This is, this is all, you know, wonderful. But where does, how does this apply to me, and where does this fit into the New Testament? Book of Acts. James, Yaakov, the leader of the Messianic community at that time, he knew about the Holiness Code. He brought, into the, holiness, he brought the Holiness Code into the rules of the church because the Gentiles were coming in in droves, and they're like, look, what do we do with these Gentiles? Because there was this whole debate. Should we circumcise them? Should we not circumcise them? They're like, look, 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 you know, circumcision is a non-issue here. If they want to, fine. If they don't, fine. Don't make them do it. It's not a requirement for them to join our group. It's not a requirement for them to be saved. So let's just throw this whole circumcision whoops, situation under the bus, just like I threw my ring on the floor. <laughs> uh, let's throw this circumcision thing under the bus. This is what's important. And so a letter was drafted by the Messianic leaders of the Messianic community, Jacob or, or, or Yaakov, James being the head. This is what he says in Acts chapter 15, starting with verse 19. Therefore, I judge not to trouble those among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but to write to them to abstain from the contamination of idols. Ooh, where did we hear that before? In the Holiness Code, Leviticus chapter 18. And from sexual immorality. Oh, where do we hear that? In Leviticus chapter 18, the holiness code. And from what is strangled and from blood. Where do we hear that? We've read it in Leviticus 18 in the holiness code. So we see how the Old Testament, or I like to say the original covenant and the renewed covenant, are linked together. They are one. They're not opposed to each other, not different from each other. They, they, they mesh and blend together beautifully, just like a, a beloved Reese cup, just like chocolate and peanut butter go so well together. The Old and New Testament go so well together. So he says here, and I'll just read this again. Uh, he says, therefore, I judge not to trouble those from among the Gentiles who are, who are turning to God, but to write to them to abstain from contamination of idols, from sexual immorality, and from what is strangled and from blood. Why? Does that mean they don't have to follow the rest of the Ten Commandments? Does that even mean they don't have to follow the rest of the 613 Commandments? No. no. Then what was the deal here? If they were in contact with these Gentiles coming to the faith, and these Gentiles were not living up by the most minimal standards of the Holiness Code, they could not participate in worship at the temple that was still standing at that time. And they couldn't even fellowship or eat at the same table together. So to solve this problem, James says, look, let's in institute this holiness code for the Gentiles coming in. It'll be like starter laws, the, their first initiation into living holy, their first initiation breaking their ties with their pagan community, with their pagan ways of life, which was all about idolatry and sexual immorality and eating whatever they wanted. And let's introduce this to them, and we're not going to worry about the rest for now. Why? Because eventually they would learn it. And this is why, because this is what it says here. For Moses. From, from the ancient generation has had in every city those who proclaim him. 
In other words, he's talking about synagogues. He's talking about the weekly Sabbath service. What do we know happens in synagogues every Sabbath? They read from the Torah, just like we're doing today. We're studying the Torah portion for this week. Synagogues all around the world are reading the same passage and teaching and studying the same passage right now like we are right now. So it says, For Moses from ancient generations has had in every city those who proclaim him, since he is read in all synagogues every Sabbath. So basically what James is saying, we're not going to worry about the rest of the 613 commandments. They're eventually going to learn that. They at least learned that. See, back then they didn't have an annual Torah reading cycle. They had a triennial Torah reading cycle. So they read the Torah completely in three years. So it was much more, uh, you know, they were able to spend more time than we do. And it just kind of evolved into an annual Torah reading. But he says, look, they're going to eventually learn about all that's expected of them as new believers. And they're going to learn about the holiness code and the way of life. So we're not going to worry about those things right now. They'll eventually catch on. The only thing we're worried about is those things that are worth dying over. And that's what's important, the holiness code. So we see from Leviticus 18 and how Acts chapter 15 come together so beautifully. And that, you know, the New Testament church, if you will, just didn't kick off something new, a new movement. They were building upon something that had already existed, something that was already familiar to them, something that was, was already there. How did they know how to deal with the Gentiles coming in? Because the Jewish community was dealing with Gentiles coming in as proselytes all the time from times past. But they expected them to be circumcised. That was the difference because they thought that that's how they got into God's good graces. But Paul made it clear, no, 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 it's important and it has a lot of benefits, but it's not required of the Gentiles. It's only required for the children of Abraham. If they want to, that's fine. If not, we're not going to force them. And then James comes along and says, hey, these are the things that we need to focus on, the holiness code. And these are the same things that are in our lives. Now, you know, for idolatry. I mean, we don't go around bowing down to Buddha statues or gold idols or whatever like that, but we can have idols in our lives. One rabbi warned when, you know, after the Holocaust and, and, and once the Jewish people were starting to immigrate to Canada and the United States, it was so important for them to start creating educational institutions of their own so that they could keep the customs and traditions. Because one rabbi said to allow them public education, not that there's anything wrong with that, but to assimilate them into the educational system of the Western world that is not friendly to Judaism. There's still a lot of anti-Semitism. It's no different than giving your child to Molech. If we had, if I had to do it over again, or, you know, if we had another child or anything, not that that's ever going to happen, but let's say that I could have another child. I would homeschool that child or find a some sort of Christian place or, or messianic place to put that child in because what they're teaching in public schools now, I would not want to expose my child to all these things that we say is not okay. They're saying is okay. And, and he said, that's like giving your child to the Molech. So that's a form of idolatry. What do we read in our spare time? What do we watch in our spare time? What do we listen to in our spare time? What hobbies do we participate in? You know, I got a really good friend who loves the Lord, but he's struggling. And my prayer for him is, Lord, help him to love you more than he loves his hobbies and habits. I know he loves the Lord, but sometimes he puts his habits or his hobbies before the Lord. We do the same thing. You know, we would rather watch a hockey game or the Super Bowl than meet with a body of believers and study the Bible. Hey, that's what they made PVR for, right? You can, you know, record it if it's that important to you. You know, sexual immorality. Well, that's kind of pointless. I mean, I don't go sleeping around or, well, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. If you think it in your heart and in your mind, it's as if you did it. The Lord said, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. The things that we are exposed to by the things that we watch on television or that we see online, sexual immorality. So the holiness code is still very much a part of our life today as believers in Messiah Yeshua. And so it's something that we just don't want to toss the baby out with bathwater. Like I said, we were given all the instructions at the beginning. And, you know, I, I'm the type of guy who has to learn by different ways. If I read something, I may overanalyze and read something into it that's not really there. Like putting together an Ikea bookshelf and I read the instruction. Wait, wait, wait. What is it really saying? What does it mean by flipping it this way? You know, and I don't totally understand what it's saying. I do understand what it's saying, but I don't. Does that make sense? I've got to have an instructional video to show me how to put that together. 
to, to, to make it oh okay i get what it's saying now this is what it meant right so that's kind of like what the torah is the god's instructions sometimes we don't fully understand these instructions but then messiah came and he says look i'm gonna i'm gonna show you how i'm gonna walk it out before you i'm gonna show you how to live this so you know how to do it for yourselves so he is our template he is our example and in judaism the way that you follow god's law each community does it a little i mean they keep the same commandments but they do it a little different that's where customs and traditions come in it's called halakha halakha means the way that you walk it out the way that you live it out yeshua is my rabbi yeshua is the one who established my halakha i'm going to walk in the footsteps of yeshua my messiah by walking and following in the torah he proclaimed himself the instructions that god gave all right let's uh go ahead and close with a word of prayer heavenly father we want to thank you so much for your word so much for your instructions so much for your holy spirit that is the encryption code breaker of those instructions that that, that leads us to to the understanding and the application uh of, of of those instructions we thank you for yeshua the example that we could read about who walked it out before us so, Lord, help us to live by the holiness code so that people can see us and know that we're different. We may dress the same like everybody else. You know, we may look like a Westerner, a Canadian, or American. But maybe the way we act, he doesn't quite totally act like a Canadian. doesn't totally act like an American. Something's different about this person, this guy, this gal. So that our lives itself can be a witness and provoke people to say, hey, what's different about you? So that we can have an open door of ministry opportunity to witness to those people. To, to that person or those people. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. So we're closed with the Aaronic benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Yeshua's name, amen.